0: Hello, and welcome to Straw Hat Social Club. Uh, I'm Todd, I'm your anime expert, which is completely made up and doesn't mean anything. Joined by my wife, Becca, as usual. Uh, Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Who uh, I guess is more new to the genre than I am, but she's still got plenty of experience watching stuff back in the day. Um, And on that note, so this is a side piece, the, uh, side, uh,
1: Peace. <laughs> yeah.
0: our, our, our kind of side podcast <laughs> here where we talk about stuff. That's not one piece. Um, and we decided to start out with movies that were very influential for us when we were younger. Um, so this week we picked spirited away because I think well, why don't you why don't you explain what is your history with Spirited Away?
1: So, I first saw Spirited Away in seventh grade, and it was because my teacher wanted us to learn about animation. Mm-hmm. So she chose that film, and I immediately fell in love with it.
0: I am kind of jealous because you know you're a little bit younger than me, and you definitely had access to some pretty fantastic stuff. Um,
1: well, I had fantastic art teachers. Yeah, that too. Like they really cared about cultivating like an artistic experience.
0: Yeah, I guess what I mean is, um, cause there's plenty of incredible animation from when I was a kid, but I think I think especially with the Miyazaki movies and especially with Spirited Away, which we'll get to some of the, why this movie is so meaningful in America in a minute, but. I think this is when anime started to be more recognized on like a mainstream level in America.
1: It was definitely the beginning of it.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, And when I was in school, I know that anime was kind of looked down upon and uh, wasn't seen as like real art. Um, And I definitely think stuff like Spirited Away started to change that um, perception. So, uh, So for me, I guess, what I'll say as far as my history, it's a little interesting because it came out in 2001. So I was 16 at the time. I saw it in theaters and what I came off Wait, of.
1: You got to see it in theaters? I did see oh, it in Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. See, I saw it in a small classroom on a well, tiny TV.
0: <laughs> well, see, I was a little bit more of a weeb than you at the time. And the thing for me is that, um, so I'd seen Princess Mononoke and that movie to this day is in my top three favorite movies of all time. I just, I love, love that movie. And I would guess Spirited Away is probably, you probably view it that same way. Easily. Yeah. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, so the, the funny thing for me though, is going into this, you know, Princess Mononoke is this epic adventure movie, you know, with lots of action You definitely see the appeal if you're a young man watching that. It's more geared toward that, I guess, um, if you want to put it that way. But Spirited Away, meanwhile, this movie was definitely tailored more toward um, young girls, um, which is another thing I want to get into once we get into the story. But for me watching it the first time coming off of Princess Mononoke, I actually remember when I saw it in theaters, I was pretty disappointed in it. Like I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't super into it.
1: Is it because there wasn't enough action? No,
0: I don't know. It's like, I don't want to say that because I, I feel like I appreciated a wide range of stuff, but it's just, it's a very different movie from Princess Mononoke. And I think leading into it, I was super, super hyped, you know, after that like seeing the trailers and everything, I was so excited and it was just, it's a very different movie with a very different mood. And I think maybe I just wasn't in the right space for that, but I can say every time I saw it after that initial viewing at theaters, I've loved it and I still, I watching it again last night, I love this movie top to bottom. Like it's great.
1: Oh yeah, me too. And I think we're going to cover all the bases on why it's so great.
0: Yeah. Um, But I did want to say, one of the big things about this, you know, going back to what I was saying about this being, when anime started really being more accepted in America on the mainstream, this was the first uh, anime movie to be nominated for and win an Academy Award. It won Best Animated Feature. And so that should tell you a lot about how this movie was perceived in America. Um, And it was also, it was the highest grossing film in Japanese history. And really? Yes. And the only thing that beat it was the Demon Slayer movie, Mugen Train.
1: Oh, yeah. well, Which,
0: yeah, Demon Slayer was just such a, like, huge breakthrough hit in Japan.
1: I, I we can get in, hopefully, yeah, hopefully we can get into Demon Slayer one day, because I also love that a lot.
0: Yeah. But it, it is funny that that's the one to beat it, because I, I can remember when Mugen Train came out, reading about like how massive it was in Japan and how it broke all these records. And so finding out that the record it broke was previously held by Spirited Away was kind of interesting. Yeah, so we'll we'll break this down. First, we're gonna talk about the art and the animation. Then we're gonna talk about the story, and then we're gonna give some just overall thoughts. Um, So why don't we get to the art and animation? So when I was doing a little bit of research, um, something I discovered that I think you will think is really interesting, if you didn't know this already, is that my he doesn't write scripts for his movies. He actually just goes straight to storyboarding.
1: I love that, honestly. Yeah, I, I really as a as an artist who struggles when it comes to like scripting. Yeah, I, I it actually makes more sense that it would be a storyboard first.
0: Yeah, you can film. see for someone who's like, he's considered like an auteur, um, it does make sense that he would sit down and draw it out as his his process. And what he said is that, like he doesn't really even have a full story when he gets into it. He kind of, the story finds itself as he's doing the storyboarding, which is pretty brilliant. It shows how much of a genius that he is, which... I don't need to say because I think everyone kind of recognizes that at this point, you know, with his breadth of work. Um, but I did think spirited away. What's so interesting, this does seem to be kind of like a, um, it's like, it's kind of like the pinnacle of his career almost in some ways.
1: Oh, most definitely.
0: Because, um, after princess Mononoke, apparently he was actually thinking about retiring, um, and i guess we'll get into this when we talk about the story why he decided to make this movie but i will say like you can tell the the budget that went into this movie is so like astronomical and it's it's a, it shows his success that he's gotten to this point where he can command this massive budget this huge animation team and the movie, movie just looks expensive
1: well yeah they were doing things at least i would like to think in 2001 that people weren't really doing in animation.
0: Yeah, sure. And
1: maybe not even today. Like I think they're just starting to catch up today.
0: Yeah, that is one thing that was really interesting is um, this movie. It uses 3D animation alongside the 2D, which is something that's always a little controversial because you know the 3D stuff can wind up standing out and looking kind of cheap and weird compared to the 2D, but with this, this had to be one of the early instances of them doing that, and they integrated it so well. Like, you can tell with somebody like Miyazaki behind it, he's not gonna look at something that's halfway done and say, that's good enough. Like, he pushed it and pushed it and pushed it until everything just blends seamlessly, and it looks incredible and has a very distinct uh, look to it that, like I said, looks very expensive.
1: Well going off more art style things, this film is what really introduced me to atmospheric perspective. Yeah. And the way that they use atmospheric perspective so beautifully in a way that you really, when people are painting landscapes, it's probably the most important thing to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Yet you don't see it pushed so beautifully.
0: It it definitely it has a really striking look. It's it's very colorful and it has this this kind of cozy atmosphere to it, which is one of the things that I wanted to hit on. Is like the the bathhouse itself. It makes me I wish that I could go to that style of like Japanese bathhouse because it just there's something about how cozy it is and there's people like running around, hustling, bustling. And they seem to be kind of all-purpose. Like they, they feed you, they give you these, these baths and these, uh, you know, these hot tub soaks and everything. And you know, obviously that's something we don't do in America, but this movie really captures, like I said, this, this coziness and this warmth. And I think that's one of the things when I first saw it, I love the time you spend in the bathhouse with all the characters and all the weird stuff going on. And I think it started to kind of lose me when they left the bathhouse. Um, And that's not a criticism. That's just what I remember from my first impressions. But we'll get to that with the story.
1: So since we are talking about the bathhouse, Mm -hmm. there's... Since they were told that this was a bathhouse for spirits, they felt like they were going to have to make up this place that really captured that feel. Mm -hmm. And... First of all, I think they did a really good job. Oh, yeah. But also they did that by just mixing different architecture together to like almost like Lego build this place.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. For spirits. I mean, it definitely it has a very distinct look and it almost has a kind of, uh, I don't know what word to use, but it's kind of like the way it looks on the outside doesn't match the inside, you know, mm-hmm. like the inside space is just so huge and vast and sprawling. It's almost like an optical illusion. And it does feel like it just contains this magnitude of different spaces to accommodate like any guests.
1: Yeah. And the whole area itself has its own personality because obviously by day, it's just some an abandoned area. Yeah. Almost seeming with no life. And then at night it just literally lights up and the river fills and everything and it becomes a whole new area
0: and the way that looks with the lighting and stuff as the sun went down is like it's so cool
1: yeah i I love how
0: the village like gets filled with all the like little spirits and stuff
1: yes i know the way they just like seemingly just like float in to the space
0: it's just i've said it before but it's cozy it's warm it, it really captures that in a way that I don't think I've ever seen in any kind of animated feature, uh, and yeah, it's great.
1: This film has probably always been, like, a comfort film for me, too. Oh, yeah, so, I can see that. Yeah, if I'm really not having it and it's just not a good day, I will just, like, put this on sometimes. Yeah.
0: And, like, all the, the different characters, like, all the different spirits and stuff have all these weird designs, like that big radish guy. And, yeah.
1: And the the huge ducks with leaf hats.
0: Yeah, there's (laughs) so many cool little things. And you know that they're super drawn from, you know, Japanese mythology and everything, which was another thing I was reading about that was funny. There are a lot of little anecdotes about how when they were making this, they would reference things. And the because this was like toward the end of Maizaki's career, um, and they would reference stuff that the younger generations who were doing the animations and stuff, you know, the kind of up and coming people would just be lost by these references. And Miyazaki would be like, oh, God, our culture is dying. <laughs> like, <laughs> what's happening? Um, but it is nice seeing that he was able to, to draw from so much from his history of of making these animated features. And he, he, he definitely is very steeped in the culture over there. And he... he puts that into all of his movies and it, it's part of what, what gives them personality and makes them so striking and so interesting. Um, and of course also the cool food, cause I know <laughs> my Zog movies have great looking food. Yeah.
1: Studio Ghibli just knows what they're doing with food. Oh yeah. It's drawn in a way that I don't think anyone can really draw food.
0: Yeah. I mean, things like the little hens that they bite into and the bones are sticking out and stuff. It's <laughs> like, everything just looks so delicious. It's great. But, but the funny thing is, I I mentioned this last night, the flip side to that is this movie can be incredibly gross.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't even know if I've totally thought about that because yeah. even the gross stuff is drawn really beautifully. And yeah. the, like the goo is like, they know, they just know yeah. how to like follow organic forms correctly and it doesn't even bother me
0: (laughs) Oh yeah i just thought it's funny like the stink demon they really make (laughs) you feel like this thing is gross as hell yes and the dragon when he's spraying blood everywhere and it's just splattering around like there's so much gross stuff um alongside all this other stuff that's so beautiful and warm and nice um it's just it's funny and i i think it it adds even more to the the depth of uh, just every aspect of this movie. Uh, so, was there anything else you wanted to say about the art?
1: Um, I'll I'll say that it the art is interesting in a way that it, it's mixed media. So you can tell that they're using like watercolor for the clouds oh, yeah. and you know acrylic possibly or gouache for certain landscape elements. And that's just something I appreciate as being a mixed media artist. I, I like seeing that.
0: Yeah, it it is very striking. And and something I actually did want to hit on when talking about the 3D hybrid stuff. There there is like a depth to the characters. Like there's a part where the um what's her name? The the witch. Yababa. Yeah, Yababa. Yeah, where Yababa is like circling a character and talking to them and you can just feel like the weight and the presence of this character that looks like such an awkward caricature, because she's basically just a giant head. Mm -hmm. But when you see it in that way, you can see like the the depth and it feels um, like it's actually taking up space, um, you know, 3D space in the room. And I thought that was really striking. Okay. (laughs) A
1: cat just walking across the table.
0: (laughs) All right, so why don't we move on to the story? So, I already mentioned um, that Mizaki doesn't really write scripts. He kind of storyboards as he goes, and he was preparing to retire after Princess Mononoke, and apparently, he had some kind of um, thing in his life. I think he met, like, it was a friend's 10-year-old daughter, and there was something that inspired him to make a movie that was geared specifically to young girls. Um, which i guess ties into why this might have been really influential for you cuz you were like the appropriate age you said you were like 12
1: yeah i was either 11 or 12 so yeah
0: yeah and maybe why me as a 16 year old boy wasn't <laughs> i wasn't quite feeling it at the time you know yeah maybe i wasn't prepared for that but i can definitely appreciate that now and and it's something that especially at the time you just didn't see as much of
1: you know? Yeah, I mean, being a young girl in America, uh, you you usually see boys doing all of the heroic things. Yeah. On TV, of course, I will say in the '90s, that's where things started to really take a turn. Sure. It seemed like they they were trying to incorporate more strong female leads.
0: Yeah, and it, I think it was it stood out to me that. <laughs> It stood out to me that, you know, in the beginning of the movie, she's like very scared and very skittish, you know, and like afraid to explore. And by the end, I mean, she's, she's
1: finding herself.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, finds her
1: independence.
0: It's very much about that. And you can see the progression, you know, as she gets bolder and braver and stands up for herself more over the course of the movie. I thought that was just super well done without like shoving it down your throat. You oh, know?
1: yeah. I, I don't even think it's something I understood when I was a kid watching it. I think I just yeah. fell in love with the mood of it.
0: Yeah, and uh, I also, I thought it was interesting that, you know.
1: <laughs> he has the zoomies. Oh, what
0: is he playing with in there? <laughs> so an- another thing that was really interesting to me about this movie is uh, Maizaki, it seems that he, he really cares deeply about the environment and he, has these themes in a lot of his movies that deal with, you know, the way humans are kind of destroying the planet. Um, you could see it for me, at least the, the strongest one early on was Nausicaa, which was very much about that. And then, you know, he made Princess Mononoke because he felt like he didn't fully explore those themes in Nausicaa. So he made Princess Mononoke, which is very similar thematically. um, And it just allowed him to explore that stuff more. But even here in Spirited Away, you know, with the stink demon that wound up being like this river spirit that was full of all this trash. Um, And I read that he had an experience when he was younger where he helped to like clean out a river and pulled a bike out. Mm. So it, it seems like that was something he was aware of and was important to him from a pretty young age. And it it finds his way into a lot of his movies. I'm sure it's present in more than just these two, um, but uh, we'd probably notice that if we explored his catalog some more.
1: Yeah, I think if like we seriously watched some of these Ghibli films, I mean, I've I think I've only really ever watched them just purely entertainment, not studying them. So that would be a different thing to maybe deep dive into.
0: Yeah, I guess I should sum up the story real quick. We're kind of getting really far ahead <laughs> of it, but the movie is is basically about this young girl named Chihiro. Is that correct? Chihiro. Chihiro. Yeah. Who? Uh, she's moving with her parents. Was it like her her dad gets a new job or something? Is that Some,
1: it? It's something like that. Like she's.
0: Yeah, she doesn't seem happy about it.
1: No, you can tell that she doesn't want to move. She, you know, is going to miss all her friends. Yeah. She has a gift from. Her classmates, I'm pretty sure, or uh, close friends, it's a little bouquet of flowers with a card. Mm-hmm. And um, you see, I've seen almost any artist that I follow has done some sort of rendition of that scene. I've done a rendition of that scene. Oh uh, yeah. I I think, even and I wanted to talk about this more later, but just the composition and how every scene is handled like a painting, basically. Yeah. But yeah
0: yeah but basically, they wind up accidentally stumbling on this weird little abandoned town, which turns out to be like in the spirit realm, like they go through a tunnel and discover it, and this seems to be a kind of hub for spirits to come and like eat and enjoy the bathhouse and everything, and it's run by this witch Yababa was that her name.
1: Mm-hmm
0: this powerful witch who, who seems to run this place and really covets money and, and getting rich.
1: Yeah, um, I will say in this scene, wait, when the parents pull over to go into this weird tunnel and everything and she is so anxious, I related yeah. to that as a kid so much. Yeah. I was like, why are they making her go through this? Like, yeah. she clearly doesn't want to do it. And as a kid, it like gave me anxiety, like, oh, just stay in the car. <laughs>
0: I think that was the most striking thing, though, when you see where her character winds up. Like, seeing her in the beginning, how anxious and scared she is. Um, but by the end, she's ready to just run straight into the danger. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things in this bathhouse, it seems like there's some kind of, of magical contract that basically says, as long as you are working, you are kind of protected. So the early movie is all about her finding this out and trying to find a job so that she can exist here as a human without being targeted, I guess, by anyone. Um, so that's kind of the, the gist of the movie, is her trying to work at this bathhouse, getting to know these characters and get accepted. And it is funny when you think about it, because everyone looks down on her because she's a human, and it's because you have all these other characters who can like fly and are super strong, and then there's just this little human girl who can't really do anything.
1: Yeah, they all see her as like a burden. Yeah. Like, oh God, this human's not going to be able to do any of these things that we need to get done.
0: Yeah. And it is something about her character that I think I get very drawn to these kind of characters, which you're going to be able to see the relationship between this and like Luffy in One Piece. I like characters who are just so kind-hearted and genuine that... Maybe they're not the most capable, you know, they're not like super exceptional, um, but, but they win people over just by being themselves.
1: That and they also just look out for the other's best interest.
0: Yeah, they're just endlessly kind, you know, and I think and selfless.
1: Like Kamaji and Lin are very good examples of this. Of course, Haku, too. Yeah. Because Haku saves her. But... When we, like, meet Kamaji and Lin pops in, he's like, oh, this is my granddaughter. Like, it's on the spot to protect her.
0: Oh, yes.
1: It's like, oh, yeah, this is my granddaughter. She needs a job.
0: Yeah, that's the guy running the, like, bellows
1: yes, with very all the suits. Yeah, the suit looking. sprites, which is also very iconic.
0: Yeah. So Haku is working for Yababa because he wants to learn magic from her, but you find out she's actually controlling him like she's put like a curse on him and that that seems to be a through line that everything with the contracts and everything that she makes for employees seem to be very one-sided yes. and uh, very difficult to break including the one for um, Chihiro we, when she she takes their names that's part of it she takes the names of everyone who signs the contract and they say that that's part of how you break the contract you have to remember your original name.
1: Right. And they give you a a new name.
0: Yeah. Hers is Sen, which is apparently a play on words in Japanese, you know, which actually that's something I wanted to get into is um, the translation. So I remember, like I said, I was a huge fan of Princess Mononoke. And something that kind of bugged me is when the movie came over to America and and Disney did the release. um, The plus side to when you, when you look at like the English dub for Princess Mononoke and even for Spirited Away, there's a lot of um, celebrity voice actors and Disney gives it that kind of attention that they give to all their movies. So the, the dubs are actually um, really solid. However, the flip side to that is the person who is in charge of the translation, they made a big point to make the translation, number one, fit, you know, the mouth flaps and everything, which meant they had to change (laughs) the script a bit. That's what they call it.
1: Yeah, it's just funny. (laughs) It is funny. (laughs)
0: Um, But the other part of it is they, they wind up stripping a lot of the cultural stuff from the movie to make it more accessible. And this always bothered me ever since Princess Mononoke, because in the Japanese version, there is a lot of stuff that's tied deeply with Japanese culture. And they kind of strip that stuff down and simplify it in a way that feels like they kind of don't trust the American audience to just get it. Because I remember there were certain things like the the demons in Princess Mononoke that like possessed the animal spirits. There was a specific term for them, and meanwhile in the American dub they're just like all demons. (laughs) You know, it's like and there's something about that that always bugged me. That felt like it's when it's so steeped in in the culture and the mythology, and you strip that out, you're you're taking something away from the movie. So it's like, I understand why they do it, but I've never I actually, liked that.
1: I don't understand why they do it. I think more, I think they more wanted, people are smart enough to figure it out than yeah. I think they would like to lead on.
0: No, I agree. But I think, especially back then, they were just trying to make it as accessible as possible. And I think there are a lot of people, especially like, listen, don't want to... <laughs> Don't take this the wrong way. But maybe some of the Disney audience, you know, in the mainstream, doesn't really care about that stuff Are and you would talking kinda about get lost.
1: Like Disney adults? That's we
0: don't need to go there. <laughs> we don't need to target anybody here. No. we
1: no, love no, no, no. we love our Disney adults. So Everybody love
0: thing. what you love what you love. Yes. But I can I can kinda get it. But it, it still is it's unfortunate. And it means that as well done as the dubs are and as watchable as they are, I still think the Japanese version is gonna be vastly superior, especially in this instance, just because you're you're missing something in that translation. Um and yeah, and that that issue it seems like they when they did the translation for Spirited Away, they approached it the same way. So the same thing happens. Uh one of the things I did wanna hit on that I saw. So you remember how she gets that little uh uh, like medicine ball when mm-hmm. she saves that one river spirit. Yeah. Which, by the way, very cool scene with the stink demon rolls up and everyone's freaking out and they send her in because she's this little human. They're like, ah, you can take care of it. Cause it's like the ultimate dirty job, you know, yeah. to lead the stinky demon into well, the bath.
1: Yeah. I think it's also about it's a consistent theme in the movie that she is just nice to to everyone basically. She gives everybody a fair chance. And I think in this scene in particular, it shows how being kind can pay off very greatly.
0: Yeah. But she winds up leading it into the bath and, and, uh, manages to clean it and find, you know, the little handle sticking out, which looks like it's like stabbed with something until you realize it's a bicycle handle and it's full of all this trash.
1: Yeah, she calls it a thorn. She's like, there's a thorn.
0: Yeah. But, you know, she goes through all this and winds up cleansing it and and saving this, uh, this river spirit, which gets her all these accolades. Because after that, everyone's like, oh, like, I guess you're not so helpless after all. And that, that kind of helps her to prove herself in the bathhouse. Um, but what I was reading, you know, she gets this weird little green ball that's like medicine. So apparently that thing is called an emetic dumpling. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. Mm. But the idea of this thing is it's supposed to induce vomiting. So it's like if you eat poison or something. And that's why when whenever she gives it to people, they wind up vomiting out like this evil spirit energy. That's
1: so interesting. I didn't know that.
0: That's one of those cultural things that like the movie is chock full of, you Mm. know, And in fact, one of the, this might have been one of the things that was mentioned that like the younger people working on it weren't familiar with. I know one of the ones that stood out to me is that uh, when they were animating Haku in his dragon form, he was using as a reference um, eels and the way they swim. And what he said to them when he's getting attacked and like wriggling around, he specifically pointed to like at the fish market when they're um killing the eels and the way they wriggle. And he said that his younger people were just like, What are you talking about? Like had no idea about that <laughs> reference. And he was like, We're doomed.
1: That's <laughs> that's interesting. I had no idea that he used an eel as a re- reference, but yeah. that makes sense now for sure. Definitely. I mean have you ever seen an eel in real life? Yeah. Yeah. They are
0: they look just like that. Just like that. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, that was the first big scene. Then we have the the no face, which has always been like this iconic, really cool character. Um and what I liked about it is this it's this weird evil spirit that she lets in and it seems to be like some kind of greed demon. Yeah. That, you know, gives you whatever you your well, heart desires. I
1: like to say it's a fuckboy demon.
0: Okay. <laughs> sure, okay.
1: I mean if you think about it, she like refuses his advances and then goes insane
0: yeah i mean that's starts eating people <laughs> well that's the interesting thing about it is that it seems like whenever he gives stuff to people and they take it it like it gives him strength mm-hmm. you know and, and makes him bigger but every time that he presents stuff to her she's like i don't need that like yeah. i don't want that you know and he slowly gets more and more frustrated because <laughs> he can't win her over with these gifts and uh and it shows the like,
1: ultimate way to beat a narcissist sure
0: <laughs> that's, yeah that's one way to look at it um, but it is interesting that the way she defeats it is through that kind heart that she has that she has no interest in these kind of worldly things and it gets so frustrated and oh and she gives him that that medicine that, yes. yes that emetic dumpling which makes him start vomiting out all this evil energy he's been accumulating. And then he goes right back to just being this little uh, nice boy. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: you kept laughing every time. <sighs> uh. yeah, but so while we're, While we're on No Face, you sure. showed me a silly concept drawings. Oh, I want boy. you to see. Have you ever seen the concept drawing? No, I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So yeah, you
0: have this massive Spirit Away art book.
1: Yes, that you got me as a gift.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool.
1: So I'll post a picture of this on the socials, Mm. Um, but you can see he looks like a very little magical man.
0: Yeah, it's really cool. It's very
1: different. It's even if it would have ended up like this in the film, I would have not been mad at all.
0: Yeah, it looks cool.
1: But I just wanted to show you that.
0: I I will say that reminds me. I was reading that his design (laughs) was inspired by um, silkworms which are another thing that's, like, really big in Japan. And the silkworms, they have this, like, fake face on the top of them, I guess, to fool, like, predators, and there's a mouth underneath it. So you can see, like, how that plays into the design.
1: Yeah, that's very cool.
0: Yeah. Um, and then I guess the the final big scene um, deals with... Um, Chihiro she she winds up seeking out Yababa's sister. What was her name? Zeniba. Zeniba who's who's like her twin sister. It's kind of like the uh, like in Wizard of Oz, the Wicked Witch of the East and the West. It feels like that. Um, and she's being presented Zeniba is being presented as this like evil sister.
1: When in reality she's this cool aunt yeah. almost like this yeah. cool aunt vibe.
0: But she seeks, she seeks her out because this is when uh, oh what's the dragon guy's name? Haku. Haku. This is when Haku he's, he's being attacked, and this is when you get this crazy violent scene where the blood's splattering everywhere. Mm-hmm. He's being attacked by these little paper sprites. Um, and when she feeds him the emetic dumpling, he vomits out this um, seal, which has a, like a little curse on it that she stomps out. And she gets the wrong idea that she thinks Zaniba is is trying to kill him. But when she goes out there, her whole reason for going out there is to try and, like, basically get her to, like, leave him alone. Which, again, like, that's her selfless nature.
1: I know. I mean, here she is. She's stuck in this world. She can't Mm -hmm. find her parents. Well, I mean, she knows where they are, but they're pigs. Yeah. Um, And all she's really concerned about is now helping her new friend.
0: Yeah, and Haku, I mean Haku did a lot to help her, and oh, you can yes. see she appreciates that and wants to return the favor.
1: Yeah, they they definitely establish that there's some sort of past connection that they've had, but they're not specific on what it is.
0: Right. Yeah, we'll get to that with the ending. Um, But she travels out there. And this is this is what I'm talking about, where when I was watching it, it kind of was losing me when they left the bathhouse like originally. Mm -hmm. But watching it now, yes, I like I like where the story goes. And
1: well, when they're on that train, not to interrupt you. Yeah. But so the train scene was always very relaxing for me. It was like a slice of life scene.
0: Yeah, it's a different kind of vibe.
1: And I think this is now looking back on this and watching it again. I think it is a big inspiration for like lo fi channels.
0: Oh, 100%. Yeah.
1: And I, I love seeing that recreated over and over. Like, I will put on a lo fi channel just because it has good artwork. Yeah. And it's lo fi, I don't know if I can say for lo fi girl, but I see mm. this style, like this very simple, cozy style being used in like lo-fi girl and it's why i love lo-fi girl so much
0: totally and i liked all the like little shadowy figures Mm -hmm. that are on the train and everything like that's a very distinct vibe to it that's uh really cool
1: yeah it's a way of like adding life to the scene without it being too distracting so i think it was very beautifully done just like everything in this movie
0: yeah and uh so yeah at the end of the movie she uh, discovers that Zaniba is actually a good witch and was trying to help him to get out of this curse that was allowing Yababa to control him. Um, and yeah,
1: she, Shihiro tells her like what she found. She's like, I found this like little bug oh, and then yeah. I squished it. And she's <laughs> like, You squished it? Yeah. And just busts out laughing. And yeah, I find that so silly. <laughs>
0: the nice aunt energy there, yeah. nice, eclectic, you know or eccentric aunt energy. Um, but, yeah, and at the end of the movie, she she f- discovers Haku's real name, which helps him to free himself from her magic.
1: Right, because she was drowning in a river when she was a child, and... Right. And he was the river that, like, flowed the water to save her, and that's yes. how she remembered her connection.
0: Yeah, really taking all these these like I said, these kind of Japanese folklore mythology concepts and bring him to life, that he's literally a river spirit um, that is personified as like this dragon.
1: Yeah. And also I know that like, and this is something I started thinking in the beginning of the film because you were like, oh, did you have a crush on Haku <laughs> when you were a little girl? Um, I And I responded like, well, no, I always viewed them as platonic friends. Yeah, And I think This is a point in the movie where I'm not sure what the original intention is, is if it is to be like soulmate romantic love or a platonic love, because you hear like Kamaji sees them in the, um, in that herb house where he works and he tells Lynn, oh, it's love. They're in love. And I think that's still, he probably doesn't say they're in love. He says it's love.
0: Yeah. And it can I th- go either way. I, I, think. I
1: really think it could go either way, and either way doesn't upset me. But I no. do, I do like to view it as like a deep platonic love for a friend.
0: Well, I like that it it can go either way. I think yeah. it's like it's very innocent, very heartfelt, and it's in keeping with you know that age because at that age you might not fully understand the difference between one and the other. Um, so I thought that was definitely really nicely handled. Um, and I guess the movie ends with uh, um, Chihiro breaking her spell, her her contract herself, because she's able to remember her name from that card that her classmates gave her. And the final test is that you know her parents, um, who greedily just dug into that Miyazaki food.
1: Which, if I can just <laughs> stop on this for a second, yeah, the anxiety I felt for Chihiro, like when her parents were like eating that food yeah. when I was a kid, I was like, Oh my God, they can't do that. That's you. It, like it made yeah. me feel like so anxious, like, Oh God, you're just standing there and they're eating all this food.
0: Yeah. But she, uh, yeah, they get turned into pigs cause they're eating all this, this food that they weren't supposed to, which, which they, is so
1: silly and so scary.
0: Also can't blame them cause the food <laughs> looked good as hell.
1: I mean, it does. Yeah. The food does look good.
0: Um, but basically um the witch she brings the the pigs out and says that she has to identify which ones are her parents and they all look identical and it's meant to be a kind of gotcha because she says you only have one chance and if you get it wrong that's that but she's able to see through it and say that well none of these are my parents and that causes her contract to burn up and freeze her and Everybody celebrates. Yeah, everybody hey, cheers. Everyone's happy for her because she's won everybody over at that point. Yeah. She's not just a stupid little human. <laughs> um, so, yeah, movie definitely holds up. I think everything from the animation, the story, it all, it all holds up really well, in my opinion.
1: I think the animation itself still looks... It's
0: timeless. It
1: looks so beautiful and it still looks ahead of its time. And it's yeah. been over 20 years?
0: Yeah, 2001.
1: That's crazy.
0: Um, And I think a lot of it does come back to what I was saying. I've always felt like... so something I know I say to you a lot is a quote that's from Ira Glass at This American Life, um, which I just realized recently, because I'd been saying this quote for a long time without remembering it. But it's the idea that if you have good tastes, it's normal for you to feel disappointed by something that you create, um, it shows that you know if you if you aren't satisfied with something that you've created, it's because you have good taste and you know that what you what you want the final product to look like is so much better than this, and it can inspire you to just keep hammering at it, make it better. Obviously, that's not the quote; I can't remember the exact quote, mm-hmm. but that's the idea. And I feel like Miyazaki is the type of person that. He's going to look at everything from this perspective where he has very high expectations, very good tastes, obviously, and he's not going to let something go if it's not fully meeting um, his expectations. And so like the implementation of the 3D art alongside the 2D is an example that he just kept working at it until it all mixed together and looked seamless. And that's part of why it holds up. Because a lot of times nowadays you see movies that try to mess with 3D animation and and hybrid stuff and it looks kind of cheap.
1: It looks obvious. I think that's the issue is that when you're using a tool and the tool is obviously seen, it kind of takes away from it.
0: Yeah, and even some of the better stuff like Chainsaw Man. I actually, I like the style of the Chainsaw Man anime. I do too. Yeah. But even that, I think it's just, it's not 100% there. It's you not know?
1: Studio Ghibli level. It's yeah. good, but it's not Studio Ghibli level.
0: Yes, but it shows, you know, back in 2001, he was able to blend it so seamlessly. I think it really is a testament, like I said, to... The taste. To, yeah, to taste to Miyazaki and his eye for this stuff and his unwillingness to just accept like, all right, it's good enough. We're, we're almost there. Like he really hammered it until it was 100% Studio Ghibli quality. And that attention, it just shows in every
1: aspect of this movie. Yeah, I, I don't think I can go like a week on the internet without seeing like a Studio Ghibli gif. Somewhere, using it for something because it's just so iconic. Yeah.
0: I think that'll do it for this side piece episode. I do think we're going to have to hit on Princess Mononoke at some point because that, like I said, that is still top three favorite, not favorite anime, favorite movies for me. Mm -hmm. I just, I love, love that movie.
1: Yeah, and you actually introduced me to Princess Mononoke. I had not seen it. I remember
0: that. That was not as like mainstream as Spirited Away for sure. But. Yeah, we all know you're
1: underground super weeb. (laughs) Okay. All
0: right. We don't need to go there. Now, if I was super underground, I'd be like Nausicaa is the one.
1: (laughs) But But Nausicaa Nausicaa is really good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All
0: right. So that was uh, the side piece on Straw Hat Social Club. I'm um, not sure what number this is because I don't know what order we're going to post them. These are kind of...
1: It'll probably just be labeled like Spirited Away or something. I don't know. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We're
0: kind of just docking these so we can put them in there if we don't have an episode for the week, I think. That's going to be the idea. But whatever. Why don't you uh, plug the socials?
1: So we're Straw Hat Social Club everywhere. So YouTube, Instagram, Tumblr, TikTok, and you can also email us at strawhatsocialclub at gmail.com.
0: Yeah, and in keeping with uh, you know what we're doing right now with Sidepiece, if you want to email us any anime movies, has to be movies, not shows because mm-hmm. that's easier for us to just watch and cover. But any anime movies from you know when you were younger, when you were first getting into anime.
1: Yes, and tell us stories about it. I want to oh, hear yeah. how you were inspired by anime or something like really got you into it. You know, like tell us about it.
0: Yeah, if we if we actually can get some submissions like that, we'll we'll watch them and talk about them, and we'll read, you know, whatever you send us. Mm-hmm. So, like and subscribe, <laughs> rate us on iTunes, whatever and uh yeah i think that'll do it and so i'm todd i'm becca and this was straw hat social club (laughs) see you later